Salam. I am your host, Aya Shabi, and you are listening to I Am Nala Podcast. So my guest today is Verlaine Dian Subraidu. I hope I got it. <laughs> it's perfect. Verlaine. It's perfect. Welcome, it's perfect. my dear. Shukran, Habibi. I'm happy Shukran. to be here. So let's start um, digging into today's theme. And today's theme is healing. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, I know that you published your book, Unbound, a Twitter thoughts for the heart and mind, a collection of tweets, poetry, and affirmation. How has writing for you been um, healing? We're so used to being in a space where we're building more, right? We're in this, we've been in spaces for years now, and particularly you, I know you've been doing this for over 10 years, um, working in spaces where we're always on the move, always building, always streaming, always doing, doing, doing. And I think that's the space I was in also, um, just building a lot of stuff. But as you know, and as many women, particularly young women know, um, when you're in spaces where you're building, you also get hurt, right? Because that's part of life. When you're building foundations, when you're building new things, when you're creating literally from dust, you know, I'm thinking of NetFM, there is nothing and then there's something. But for something to happen, you need to literally dig holes and put the pipes and then make sure that the, the foundation of the house is solid enough. And to do all of that, it requires tremendous efforts. And when you put efforts out there to build things, then you can get hurt, you know, either internally or, you know, the world also is not always really nice, particularly when you're a woman, when you're a young woman, when you're a young African woman. When you're young, black, or colored woman, you know, you, the world is not always present for you to be able to to build and dream. And so it gets, you know, it gets hurtful. And I think I get to a space where I didn't realize that I was hurting, right? Because I had been spending years just building and dreaming. And, you know, you just, you just dust your shoulder off, right? When something happens, you just continue. And there's so many things that happened. And I think I... I had spent almost a decade, right? Almost 10 years just building whatever dreams and visions I, I had and other things that I shared with other young women and older women and sisters and then even families and stuff like that. And I realized that I needed to take a moment to stop, right? Because when you're on the hustle, because we're hustlers, right? Young people, young African people were, were hustlers. You need to take a moment and then, you know, COVID happened and I realized that I had to take a moment to just stop for a second and, and look around me, right? Because the, the dust had settled, right? With COVID, everything was stopped on hold and then the dust had settled and then I realized that I had some healing to do too, right? That there were parts of me that get hurt, that other people hurt, that I hurt myself and that I needed to, to see how to, yeah, how to heal so that I wouldn't bleed on others like other people have bled on me because they get to a stage of, I don't want to say no return, but sometimes you get so much hurt that you don't realize that you're hurting and then you start hurting other people. And I didn't want to get to this, to this stage, right? I wanted to just be able to be whole again and then be able to give love around me and not, you know, so I thought, okay, let me take a moment and, and pamper and, and nurse whatever is hurting and just stop for a second. And yeah, so healing has been 
yeah amazing <laughs> so so is is healing actually a choice uh do you choose healing because sometimes you know in life you're so in the darkness that you're in denial of the healing journey you don't know if you want to start it or not if you even need it or not um did you realize that it's a choice that anyone can make Mm, that's such a good question, Nadia. I think you have two possibilities. I think there are two paths. The first one is sometimes some people are conscious enough and aware enough, and I'm lucky to have been on this side, right, to realize that things are not going well, right? I I, I reflected a lot on, on myself and, and the space around me, whatever space I found myself in and the people that were around me, you know, there are people and situations and circumstances that activate the dark parts within you. You know, you talked about the darkness. We all have those parts, but, you know, we're able to overcome them when we pour enough water, when we pour enough light, enough love into it. And that includes the number of people who surround you, right? If you surround yourself with people who activate your dark parts, then you fall into a trap and it can become very difficult to come out of it. And I realized that, yeah, that there were parts that I needed to remove from my life. And and so I, I was conscious about it. And I think the stillness of the pandemic allowed me to have that reflection and to just think, okay, let's reset, you know, press the button within and remove literally everything that needs to be removed, including people and situations and circumstances. And then, yeah, and then heal from there. And I think that was more of a conscious part and you have the other part, which is not conscious, when life literally puts you in a corner and you have no other choice but to heal because you get to what we call rock bottom, right? Life throws you so deep down in in the dark pit that the only way for you, like there, there's no way further down. And when you get to that space of being in the, in, in the hole, in the dark hole, in the dark pit, you have to literally go back up, right? And if you're strong enough, you're able to do it. And that's why mental health is very important because some people are not able to do it. You know, the, the rates of suicide, etc. And But, you know, I think that's why it's important to seek help when you feel that you're not strong enough to do it, to surround yourself, again, to remove any situations or people who may be activating those, you know, dark, painful parts and, and, and rise up, Uh so I, I would say there's the first one, which is the conscious one, realizing that there's a change that needs to happen. And then there's the more situational, where you're in a situation where you don't have any other choice but to actually go on and and move towards another direction. So is there um, is there a difference, Verlaine, between um, male and female in the journey of healing? Mm. Because I know you talk a lot mm. about young women, you know, and uh, the challenges, the particular challenges and the particular attention mm. young women need. Mm. Mm. That's a very good question, mm. Young women, we, we go through life a bit differently, right? If you're lucky enough when you're young, you have an environment that allows you to dream, to write, and to build, right? You have maybe a father, or very often it starts at home, right? With a father or a father figure or, or your brothers who encourage you to do well, to be strong, and, you know, to overcome. And to know that no matter what happens, it's okay. You know, you have the right and you're able to do it on both, you know, sides, the right and the ability to do it. Um 
But very often it's not the case. Very often, you know, we live in very patriarchal societies and very often as women, young women and girls, we're told, yes, no, close your mouth, you talk too much, you're being too much, this is this is not for you, and etc. So our dreams and voices are shut down from early on. So I think we we go with a chip on our shoulders, right, when we start. So even if at home you may have encouraging family members, may they be your mother or fathers or uncles, etc., or aunties, the world will, re- will remind you your place. Right? The world will tell you this is not for you and this is not your place and you're too much and this is too much and shut it down while you're saying this, etc. This is not how it's supposed to be because there's an order to things. But we don't teach that to boys, right? And uh, I think Shimamanda, uh, the writer, Shimamanda Ngozi Adichie talks about that, right? We teach girls to be nice and to play nice and boys, we don't teach them the same. So I think healing hits different. I, I think men do suffer also from this patriarchal um, context and circumstances, but differently because by the time it hits them, I would say they have a leg up, right? A leg ahead in the course, in the run of life. Uh, you take a young woman and in the middle of the lecture, she doesn't have the same possibilities of life, right? As a, as a young boy, a young man. So I think the healing journey, because we, we start with so many steps back, I think the healing journey is different. And I don't want to make generalities, but from what I've seen from myself and from other young women, you know, we're very intuitive, very attuned to life. We give, we carry life, whether we give it or not, it's a given, we carry life within us. And I think, you know, healing is a bit different for us. And it also takes recentering ourselves. And I think there's something you said, actually, once I remember, which I really liked, which is being in alignment with what you say, what you feel, and what you think, right? Once you start being in alignment, then, then healing is possible. But when there's this disconnect between how you feel, how you think, and what you say, then, you know, that there's a, and I think as women, we're misaligned from the early stages. So healing is definitely different. Yeah, being coherent, it's, it's, a, it's a daily exercise. Yeah. So I want us to, to know more, Verlaine, um, to tell us your story. And let's start from, from the beginning, because um, how did Verlaine arrive to New York? And then how did Verlaine <laughs> went to Mauritania? But even before, 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 like where did Verlaine grow up? you know, and uh, the environment she lived <laughs> yeah. in, the dreams you had, and then you got to the United Nations, and then you got to, to be an author and tour with your book. So, so tell us the story from the start. Even when you tell me that, Major, it's like, it sounds like a, it sounds like a crazy story. <laughs> when I think of me as a child, you know, like dreaming and, and just thinking, I think one thread that's always been with me is I've always... I've always dreamed, right? I've always envisioned, and even as a child, I remember writing down, oh, I hope that, you know, by the time I hit 30, which I did already, it passed <laughs> by the UN standard of graduated the youth group, right? But <laughs> but I remember when I was a child, I used to think and, you know, just write down dreams that I had, like many children. I think all children, I think we all share that, right? The ability to dream and the ability to just imagine and envision. And as we grow up again, particularly when we're girls, and, and I think I talk a lot about that because I have five brothers and I realized quickly that life 
was treating them differently, right? That life was treating me. Um, you know, I thank God that I was able to do what I did, but I saw that there was a difference in the way that societies and the world was treating boys compared to how they were, the world was treating me. Um, but back to the basics, as you, as you asked, you know, about, about childhood, I think I was, and I was, a, I, I mean, I was a very, I was a very, actually very quiet, very quiet child, uh, dreaming. My mother is, uh, Indian, you know, from Mauritius, Indo-Mauritian. And my father is from Congo. They met as students, you know, back in the eighties, um, in Paris, uh, back in the days when my dad had like a Michael Jackson fro. That's what he says. And apparently he looked like Michael Jackson. I don't know, but, <laughs> you know, current stories, you know, everyone has their own, but apparently he had like the Michael Jackson vibe from thriller. And my mom was, you know, amazed at seeing this, you know, Michael Jackson version uh, at a student party. And, and so myself and my brothers, you know, came out of, uh, of, of this love, I would say, you know, of, uh, of the meeting as students in Paris. And I think, you know, the, our childhood was very much, you know, um, our childhood was, yeah, was enveloped by, by the culture, by Africa, also Indian influences. You know, I grew up, of course, listening to both languages and, and cultures, Mauritius. Um, yeah. And then, and then by the time I, I think by the time I was a teenager, uh, I don't know. I, you know, I think, I I started wanting to to do other things, right? To to see the world and and just I don't know, just pursue things that I thought were were for me, in, including studying abroad. You know, I wanted to go study in America, and people were like, "Why? We we don't know anyone there." And again, you know, the power of imagination and then pursuing your dream. I don't know. I, I just said, I, I don't know. I want to try. I want to go there. I want to see New York. And then, you know, I got a scholarship. Uh, I was, I was a good student. I was a good student. I got a scholarship. I went to New York at 20. I found myself with no family members and, you know, and just, yeah, just pursuing, you know, I think, you know, Paulo Coelho in his book, The Alchemist, he, he talks about uh, personal, um, you know, the personal journey, the personal, the personal path that we all have. And I think I just kind of followed it. I, I just felt that I had to go, right? I think at some point in our lives, we felt that we have to go do something or be something or and I didn't really know what it was. I just knew that I wanted to just be and explore the life that was within me. And and so I left. I went and I studied and, you know, and then even because then I guess we go to the UN because this is around the time I'm 23, you know, I'm finishing my studies. And, um, I, I was about to work for a private company in New York or something. And then I don't, you know, there was one of my professors who said, oh, uh, you, you should think of maybe doing an internship or joining the UN or something like that. But it was never something that I wanted, you know, that I pursued. And then again, that's why I talk about following the path very often, because I think life has a way to guide you to where you need to be if you just follow. 
and without chasing, right? I don't think chasing things is healthy. I mean, you can chase your dreams. You can chase what you feel is within yourself to do and be uh, in the time that we have here, right? On, on this, on this planet, on this earth, in the moment that we have, but not chase things out of the way, right? If, if, if it keeps slipping out of your hands at some point, I think you need to realize maybe there's something else that you need to do. Right. And so I don't know, I just, I just followed it. And then I found myself, uh, at the UN, then I got a job at 23. And then of course I went home. I went back at the time my family, some of my family members were in Ethiopia. So I went back to Ethiopia and I don't know. I just, I just felt that even if I were in, in New York that I had to come back home. Right. I think as children, particularly as African children in the world, we always have the sense of home, right? No matter where we go, we know that home is where we need to be. And I knew that I had to come back. I knew that there is, you know, that that there is something that we needed to contribute. And I think that's also the power of the diaspora of uh, when you go out and then you know that you have to come home. And so I knew that uh, that I had to come home. And so I came back in, in 2016, and then, of course, the rest is history because then, you know, there was the whole AU, UN work that we did, etc. But I think it was just, just following within a sense of contribution, right? Because I think we all come um, with a gift. You know, we all come with a gift to give something. You know, we all, and no matter how small we think we are or or big, or, you know, we all come with a gift that we have to give. And I think when we come together, then it multiplies. And I think that's why we've done a lot of work as collective, because we can see the magic coming coming out of it. Yeah. And I think what I've come to realize is that many people don't know how to let go. And it doesn't matter how old or how young or very often, you know, and that's why sometimes I don't want to go too much into that we have issues because, you know, we just have to look at life. There's, there's seasons, right? There's a time when it's raining, then there's a time when it's sunny, and there's a time when the seed is planted into the soil, it grows, and then it becomes a tree. At some, at some point, the, the leaves of the tree falls, right? Meaning that there's a new chapter, a new beginning that is about to arrive, and to get ready for the new beginning. And what I've come to realize is many people hold on to the old leaves, right? Thinking that it's going to come back to green again. I have to hold on to it because it's still my time. It's still me who has to do that. And I have learned early on to let go that there's always the next stage in life. There's always the next chapter. And when you realize that you're able to live multiple lives within one, when I say that, I mean that when time comes to start something new, to build something new, that you're not afraid to let go of the old. And I think I've free-dived, I've let go, because I know that everything that we do, that's the legacy. Legacies is being able to build things and then to leave a place for others to come and to contribute and to continue, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
And yeah, and then you free dive through everything. You go to the next stage and the next stage and you build new things and new things and, and you let them grow. I guess I, I just decided to follow the cycle of life, right? That I'm literally free diving right. now. I, I love how you um, uh, did the metaphor with the season. I really love it. Um, but I know that a lot of the young women listening to us uh, would think of the a career in mm. the United Nations as mm. a dream, right? Would think of mm. being in these spaces as something they aspire to. Mm -hmm. And they might not comprehend, like, mm -hmm. why Why would you leave, you know, such a space and um, and the potential to to move on in a in a bigger career within these mm. spaces? So I think the, mm. the lesson of letting go is, is, is really mm. important. If we look at the bigger system in Africa and how you know, older men holding on to power and not letting go, right? <laughs> is there a, a gender dynamic in, in this issue as well? I, I think it's, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, I have to say, because obviously I'm still working at the UN and, and I guess I'm working in a different way. I'm working in a way where I'm, I have more freedom, right? Because obviously I wrote a book and then I did the book tour and I'm happy to talk about that. But I guess... Because also I started very young, right? That was when I, I joined what we call the system. And I love it. I love what we do at the UN. I love the contribution we've done, the missions, the, the work we've done with people um, on the ground and politically at the Security Council. I mean, so much, right? When I see a document at the Security Council, when I know that I was able with a group of people to influence the language so it's more positive for women, for young women, for Africa, etc., I'm, 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 I'm humbled, right, to think that I've been able to contribute to that. But I guess, again, because cycles, right, I guess I function in, in ways that we have to follow nature. I, I, I think this was a cycle where I was able to, to do things that I had the drive and passion to contribute to, to a bigger agenda, right, continental and international for women and girls, etc. And I think... You know, when you hit 30, there's something that happens as a woman in your brain. I don't know how to explain. Something something that has to do with freedom. You know, and I think I write about it in Unbound. When I write that um, there's something about freedom, you know, words can't fully explain it. But my whole being, meaning my toes, my legs, my arms, my eyes, my head, every every piece of me knows what freedom feels like. And when I talk about freedom, it's not that there's no freedom, but the freedom in pursuing um, a different level of oneself, right? The freedom of being whole within and, and who knows, maybe 10 years from now or, you know, when I, I gain enough external experience that life has to offer, I'll recontribute differently, fully, right? Because I really believe, and I think that was one part that I feared, was that to become numbed, right? Because when you're used to seeing something, you become numb to it. When you're used to seeing pain, you become numb to pain. When you're used to seeing suffering, you become numb to it. Or if you're not numb to it, it hurts you so deep that you're not able to recover. And, and you know, and I've seen people become bitter and exclusive and excluding others, etc. And, and I thought that's not the person I wanted to become. And there's so much more to life. There's so many ways to contribute to peace and development, including through writing, which you know, I'm happy to talk about the book tour and how, you know, this impacted, for instance, um, young people on the continent in Africa, etc. Uh, 
But when we close our minds to think that this is the only way, then we miss what life is about because there's so many ways to contribute, right? Contributing to building the world is literally universal. Even nature around us is contributing. We don't even see it, right? Through oxygen, etc. And so, I think because you talked about something very important, my sister, you talked about young, particularly young women and young people, you know how hard it was even five years. Now I see that after all the work we've done, that the spaces are becoming more open. But, you know, like five, ten years ago, how difficult it was to be young within the system was very difficult. People were looking at us like, who do you think you are? What are you doing? <laughs> this is not the way it should go. This is not the way it should be, etc. It was really hard. I think we literally blazed a trail. I think we did. I think we changed the narrative starting within Africa, with Africa youth built, bringing our voices and saying we would like to contribute, right? Let's be partners. Intergenerational co-leadership came from us. There was no such languages before. Literally, we can check all the documents, etc. There was nothing. For 2015, officially, there was nothing. And I think we were able to bring that. And, you know, of course, it's inspiring. And it's good to leave the space for others to contribute to it. And I think my advice, um, it feels like <laughs> I'm talking like from like a senior now, but I think my advice to like younger people, it, there, there should be new blood, right? There should be more young people going into positions because you bring who you are to what you do. You know, it's not the job that makes you, you make the job. And I think that was the biggest lesson for me is that, I brought myself whole to everything that I did and I didn't accept the spaces I was in to change me completely. Of course, you have to adapt and there are things that you have to learn and, you know, you're, you have things that you have to do better, etc. But I never, and I think that's my advice to younger people, particularly is to encourage them to join such systems, but to keep the core of who they are, because that's what makes the change. That's what makes the new blood. That's what gives new vision, new imagination, new creativity to do things. And yeah, so definitely go go get those positions. <laughs> I'm glad you, you brought uh, intergenerational co-leadership because we the last time we met was in Abuja, Nigeria, and you were one of the awardees of Nala Feminist Collective for your pioneering work uh, in the United Nations and the African Union around intergenerational collaboration and, and solidarity and Congratulations again um, on the award and that recognition. Um, But I I also want to bring within that um, the question of collective healing, because we have our own personal healing, our own journey. We have to go through it. You know, nobody can really help us with it unless we decide to do it. But then there is also the support system that is the collective. And this is something we're hoping to, to build with Nala, because it's not just about the political and the policy change, it's about, I got your back as a sister. And it's about, you know, sitting without titles and being honest with each other and telling each other, you know, our very vulnerable mm-hmm. stories. And that is also part mm-hmm. of the healing. Um, I know you've been mm-hmm. part of, of different, you know, women um, women groups and, and, and young women mm-hmm. uh, spaces. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for, for all of these young women who are also trying to build those collectives within mm-hmm. their own spaces... What what can mm-hmm. you what can you advise in terms of the collective healing? Healing first is the first part, right? Because if you're not whole within yourself, you'll not be able to recognize the pain in others. And the only possible way to heal as a collective is to see yourself in others and others in you, right? And I think that's the core of Ubuntu. 
in Africa. We talk a lot about Ubuntu, but I think many people forgot what Ubuntu means. You know, they transformed it into a political agenda, thinking that as a collective, we just go politically. But before the political, there's the human, right? And when you look into someone's eyes, knowing that this person is part of you and you're part of them, because the same life, like when I look at you now and know that the life that is within you is the same life that is within me. And I think once we go to the core, like straight back to the basics, the foundation of who we are as human beings, that we're one as a collective, then we're able to move forward. So I, I love what you said, removing the titles, because many people come with their titles. I like the image of people going to bed with their titles, right? They put their, their coat that is director, their other coat that is I don't know what, and they don't remove them. They go to bed like this and they sleep with it and they wake up with it. And if you don't address them by the color of the coat they decided they were, you are in bad blood. But this is not how the world is because when you're, when we're going to die, all of that is going to be a long memory. Even people who remains in history books, we barely think of them, right? Unless, so the way that we live beyond death, sorry to say that this way, it's to live a positive legacy with the people who loved us, right? Because the people who loved us are the people we encountered, right? Not necessarily our family members or our friends, but even the person who, um, I don't know, the taxi driver, the fruit seller, etc. How how you carry yourself towards everyone, including those who may be whom you may think, because they're not, but those those some people may think are below them, because that doesn't exist. But unfortunately, as you said, many people still live with many titles, um, you know, separating themselves from others, believing that they're above and beyond. And life is not this way. And I had, unfortunately, that experience with someone very close. And and I think this is, I don't know, this destroys relationships, right? When you're not able to put down whatever title you think you own to look at someone as a life that is like yours in front of you, then there's a problem. So I think healing within yourself and then understanding that whatever function you occupy because that's a function that you occupy at the moment it's just it's just a function of a moment and that this is going to go and so treating people right based on on humanity i think that's that's literally and then that this is when healing as a collective is is possible so i want to dive um as we as we wrap up, I want to dive into mm. your book, and I feel like you know you mm. you talked about the decade, right? So that that ten years of like professional work and learning and growing and you know hitting hard different things, and then there was a moment where Velen decided I'm going to write a book and I'm going to self publish <laughs> that book and I'm going to do it with that book. <laughs> you know, so I, I feel that was like 2020. So tell us that turning point where you decided, actually, I'm going to put all these tweets into a book. And then how, how did it magic mm. worked out at the end to actually publish it and tour with it and engage with different people on it? And that comes back to what you were talking about earlier, right? About what we're talking about, about transitioning and contributing to the work that we do to build positive change in a different way, right? Sometimes you can build from left and sometimes from right, sometimes from the corner, sometimes from the center. And I think when, when COVID hit and everyone was in lockdown, this is when, you know, I think there was a particularly 
when we had we had very busy lives, right? I, I remember my my life personally was extremely busy. I was always in and out, and you know, just everywhere at the same time. Even I was everywhere at the same time. And I think when COVID hit, the dust just settled. Right? It was like a, a sandstorm. Since you know, been in the deserts, it's a, it's been like a sandstorm. And then at some point, the dust settled. And when the dust settled, I realized that there was some work and healing to do. And and again, I think for me, the book was my dissertation. It was the um, yeah, it was the the completion of what I of my healing journey. Literally, I think the book was my the completion of it was my dissertation. And I don't think I was. I don't think I wanted. There was no purpose of writing a book. There was really no purpose. The purpose was not to write a book. The purpose was to literally analyze and understand what happened. <laughs> what happened here? Because as you know, I'm very expressive on Twitter because obviously I write. And, and at some point, my Twitter turned into a collective healing platform because I was sharing a lot of encouraging affirmations and building oneself up and, you know, and... And because I was looking into the journey through a specific period from about 2018, 2019 to 2020, so about two years, and I realized that there was a journey, that something had shifted within me in that time period that I think I had become a woman. Now, Alex Simone de Beauvoir, she says that one is not born a woman, but one becomes a woman. Because we're born girls, right? And then being a woman, womanhood is a, is a whole trip. You have to take a trip to womanhood, meaning finding yourself, finding your voice, knowing when no is a full answer, right? Because sometimes when we're younger, we don't have the courage to say no. We don't have the courage to say no to bullies. We don't have the courage to say no to bad bosses, to bad lovers, to bad whatever. And I think once you step into womanhood, into who you know you are within, and again, as you said, when you're what you think, what you say, and what you do is aligned, to me, this is womanhood because you're allowed and you have the space within yourself to say, no, you will not treat me this way or no, this is not for me. I don't accept it. You have the courage. And I think womanhood for me, finding womanhood was finding the courage to say yes when it was a yes and to say no when it was a no for me. This was what womanhood has been and being full within myself to make the choices that I make, as you said, to, to decide to move differently, you know, in a way that people may not understand and to pursue it, to still pursue it, because I've always pursued what I thought was right, not only for me, but for the collective. And so, and so the book came out of it from this self-reflection. I literally just printed all the tweets because I wanted to understand, you know, I was doing journaling. I wanted to understand what had happened in those two years for me to become a woman. And so then I realized there was a lyrical journey. I was like, oh, what is this? And I was like, I can't believe I put all of this in the world. And everybody saw me. <laughs> and then I realized when I was sometimes doing negotiations at the UN, I would see some of my colleagues would say, oh, I like the tweet this morning. It really gave me courage. Or, oh, are you okay? Because I saw something. Because there were dark parts, right? There were moments when it's, it's difficult. And understanding that I had enough courage to actually put it in the world, because in the end, no matter how many titles, as we said, that we put on ourselves, we all share all the ups, all the downs, right? We share joys, we share pains. And this is part of the, of the human journey. So I had literally 
Yeah, I had put my little journey out there in the world, and so I, I because I was doing this healing that we talked as as a as a individual during COVID, I printed them, and then I realized it was a a journey, and I just put them. It was very quick. I just looked and looked and read, and and then a book came out, and um, I don't know. I felt that because it helped me. Then I read it and I cried because I realized that it was it was really a healing moment. That it was. A journey. I felt that my higher self, or my me becoming a woman, was able to hold me. I know it sounds crazy, but I was able to hold myself by my own hand and walk me out. Right to say, "This is the way. Let's go." And so, and so the book came out. And first, I was like, oh, "What am I going to do with that?" <laughs> and then, of course, I prayed on it. I was like, "All right, let's just try." And so, initially, I self-published it. Um, and then it was working. People are like, oh, this is good. This helped me. And then I were, yeah, particularly even men, they were calling me or sending me people I didn't know, sending me messages on Twitter, telling me that they cried because it was exactly how they felt and how it helped them understand that it was a journey, etc. And And then it was picked up by a publisher in New York and they published it in Barnes and Nobles. And then, yeah, and then it went very well. And, and then I thought I need to take this book back home. You know, I think... I think it's always good to go home. And I told my publisher, I'm, I'm going to go home to Africa. And you know, there is a very, there's a bad misconception about Africa. People think we don't have libraries and people don't read. And I said, no, I said, I need to go home. And I'm like, oh, there's something in the US. I said, yeah, I'll do it. But first I need to go home. So, so that's when the Unbound book tour came out. I think I did 10 countries, East Africa. And then you called me. I, I stopped in Nigeria very quickly, but it was just really good to be able to to sit down and talk healing, right? Because people people were hurting, people are still hurting. We're all hurting, right? Somehow, and particularly during the pandemic, so many people lost their jobs and the uncertainties and and family members, and just being able to have a place to come together. You know, that's when you know for me healing was a two steps, as you said. The first part when I put back together this lyrical journey. And then the second part as a collective, because meeting people and talking about healing healed me too, right? There's a power in the collective that adds as a layer on the personal. And, and I think there was so much, yeah, there was a, there's a, there was a lot for me to learn. Uh, and that, uh, yeah, I did, I think, about three, four months of book tour, and there was a lot to learn. And I'm so grateful that I was able to learn from everyone I met on the way, you know. And I think to be able to do that, we have to both remain a student and a teacher, right? Because obviously I come with a book, so people think they're going to learn from me. But I always am still a student, so I learn from everyone I meet too. So I have the humility to accept that I'm still a student. And wisdom to know that I'm a bit of a teacher, I guess, into the little things that I've been able to learn. So being a student teacher at the same time. That's amazing. We want the book here in North yeah, Africa. It's too, actually being you know? translated in French. <laughs> That's amazing. And you're, you're absolutely welcome. Um, so my final question I ask it to every guest is, are you Nala and why? Mm, definitely. <laughs> well, first of all, I think I, maybe to come back to what Nala means. And I remember the power in the room when I, I came to the summit in Nigeria and Abuja. And congratulations, my dear, because I know the amount of work and persistence 
and dream it takes to make a summit like this happen, right? For the for the for the people who are listening, who are not aware, there was another summit that happened in Abuja, Nigeria, bringing together young women, feminists, young men to um, to to do the summit and and launch. Uh, and of course, uh, I was grateful to receive an award for the intergenerational uh, leadership work. But it takes dedication, right? And many people are scared to take the first step because there's before before the after the after the why there's the how right people get scared of how am i going to do that and how and how and how and and get stopped right and i think i guess one piece of advice that i um, i can share that i i can see in you that i share with you is you know to not worry about the how the how will always show itself right just worry about why why you want to do that and then carry on, right? If your why is strong enough, the how will manifest itself, right? Even for the book, I mean, I had no idea. Me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm still working in the UN, but uh, I was anchored, right, in the, in the diplomatic, etc. system. And writing books was not, or the book industry or the media entertainment industry was not, it was far from me and I could have stopped and thought, oh, I don't know the how. But I think when you have a why that is strong enough, the how shows itself, right? As you walk, the path appears literally. And by the time you get to the end of the path, you look back and you can see there's a garden, there are flowers and trees and birds. And you're like, where did this come from? But as you walked, it just all came to be, right? And that's how I like to see it. And I think that's what Nala is. For me, I'm Nala because I'm able to walk and make the dreams happen. And as I walk, I look behind and I know that other young women are able to make their dreams happen. So that's why I'm Nala. <laughs> that's very powerful. Thank you, Verlaine, for sharing a little bit, you know, of, of who you are and your story with us. Because uh, half an hour doesn't do justice to no, the complexity uh, of your journey. No, uh, but yet you you rise above all of it and and you are today free doing what you love to do um, you know uh, every day I think the freedom what I take from today's conversation which is something that I relate to uh, the liberation and the freedom to to womanhood and to be women and to become a woman is uh, is extremely powerful and yes there is something about the 30s so whoever is listening to us who is in their 20s it's coming you're just building everything <laughs> towards that moment so <laughs> definitely <laughs> déjà vu <laughs> yeah you're like déjà vu shukran baby to stay updated with our work go to nalafem.org and sign up to our newsletter you can also sign our manifesto on nalafem.org slash sign. And you can follow us on social media at nalafem. This is your host, Aya Shebi, and see you in the next episode.